Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lumumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. Good afternoon, Richard and Martha. Thank y'all so much for being here with the Mississippi Book Festival during this time of pandemic. We are so excited about the release of both of your books this year, and can't wait, I can't wait to talk to y'all about both of them. And just a little short introduction, uh, Richard was born in London, England, and he is an award-winning travel writer. His books are American Nomads, which won the 2004 Thomas Cook Travel Literature Award, um, God's Middle Finger, Crazy River, and the best-selling Dispatches from Pluto. And his newest book, The Deepest South of All, True Stories from Natchez, Mississippi, was released just about a few weeks ago. So um, we've all been very excited about that. And Martha Hall Foos is a Mississippi Delta girl, and she is a guru of Southern food and all things Southern. And she um, is a storyteller and has a unique uh, ability to put together uh, some of the most beautiful cookbooks to have ever been in print. Her first book, Screen Doors and Sweet Tea, won the 2009 James Beard American Food Award and the 2009 Southern Independent Booksellers Award. Her second book is A Southerly Course, which is, has the prettiest aprons you've ever seen in your life in it. And her latest book is A Good Meal That Is Hard to Find. And Martha has a couple other books she's going to share with us that are soon to be released during this conversation. So how has releasing a book in 2020 been life-changing and life-affirming for both of you? We've all had the pandemic experience at this point. So I just wanted to hear y'all's thoughts on that. Uh, Martha? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, we had big plans for a big uh, book tour with, a Good Meal is Hard to Find, that I co-wrote with um, the fabulous uh, oral historian and painter, Amy Cameron Evans. Um, And we had big plans. We were looking forward to being in person at the Mississippi Book Festival and uh, the Conference of the Book in Oxford. And uh, we had a whole string of dates lined up, everything from garden parties to library events. And um, that all just sort of flew out the window and um, also with the uh, difficulty in shipping things lately has also thrown a wrench. Um, you know, you send a book to someone and maybe three weeks later uh, right. it arrives to them. And so that's, that's been another twist in the whole saga of um, trying to get the word out about this book. Yeah, so same, same for me. I was supposed to launch it at the Mississippi Book Festival amid, amid fanfare and and, and crowds and, and dripping humidity at the world's sweatiest book festival. <laughs> and, um, instead, I just get to kind of sit at my desk as normal. Don't, don't get out of the don't get out of the study. Yeah, very dull. Well, yes, very dull. Uh, uh, we were looking forward to having both of you at the book festival, and now we're all just stuck in our houses. I loved my house, you know, about eight months ago, and now I'm just like. <laughs> I want to get out of it so badly. So, well. I had the good sense to move houses so we'd be stuck in the same house. Yeah, that was a very smart pandemic move, a little change of scenery. Um, 
I feel like I'm running a 24 hour laundromat diner. Yes, I'm so tired of food being prepared in my home. I just can't even tell you. I miss restaurants and I'm, yes, I feel like we're going through more laundry than before, for sure. Um, well, y'all have persevered uh, through this and your books are selling great and we're just thrilled for you and y'all, you know, I guess we, you've made the best out of a really kind of crappy situation. So, um on the cookbook front, it is a good time, I guess, to be a cookbook writer because people are cooking so much at home. And so maybe uh, maybe this is a good time for cookbooks. Yeah, I, I think it's a good time for reading just in general. I mean, you know, I'm reading like I've always I'm just been a voracious reader, but I'm really reading like crazy now. Anytime the baby is, has herself occupied, I've got my face in a book. So not a whole lot of running around town. Yeah, the, the, having, the, having the school aged children at home can really cut into the reading time I've found. How old is she now? Uh, she's five now. Yeah. 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 I've been real yeah, thankful so. that my daughter is, you know, a baby baby during yeah. all of this. I've, my son's I've, a high school senior this year. So it's kind of a funky year to be um, a senior. So we're muddling through. I feel really badly for the seniors of last year and the seniors of this year. You know, they're kind of being robbed of a, of an experience. But, you know, we do what we can, I suppose. <laughs> but I want to... Probably bore their grandchildren with stories of the great pandemic. Oh, I, I was discussing with somebody last night. I said, we're what somebody's going to read about in the history books, which is just crazy to think about. But here we are. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how y'all's friendship came to pass. Um, y'all are both uh, have the gift of storytelling, obviously. And um, how did that kind of give birth to this, um, you know, this incredible friendship that y'all now have? Okay, so the way I remember it was... Uh, <laughs> oh, yes, I want to hear both versions. <laughs> which, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, memory's a slippery thing. But the way I remember it, I was in Oxford and Martha had, I think, was launching screen doors and sweet tea and it was an event at square books i, th I seem to remember uh cocktails with that had bourbon and sweet tea in them bourbon and ginger ale bourbon and ginger ale was it mm -hmm. some sort of accelerant in the cocktail <laughs> anyway um we i think we met there and then we wound up back at the Howarth's house and there was a big dance party and um and i remember martha said this was Martha said, look, you, you need to come out to the Delta. Somebody needs to write a decent book about the Delta. There hasn't been one in too long. And um, we stayed in touch and I moved to New York and yeah, ended up coming back to Mississippi and um, reconnecting with Martha. And then one thing led to another and I ended up buying her daddy's house <laughs> near Pluto. That's pretty much the way uh, I remember it. There was lots of uh, dancing and hijinks uh, the first night that we met. And um, I was pleading with Richard to come down to the Delta. And then finally, we had a big plan. Well, I had a big plan that I was going to take him on this whirlwind tour of the Delta. And we were going to hit all the hot spots and everything like that. But we had a touch of fun poisoning from the night before. And so we just ended up uh, picking up some fried chicken and hanging out at Pluto. And we 
drove down the road to Gumgrove, where my dad's house is. It's about three miles on the same road. And um, Richard's like, well, you know, I never thought I'd ever want to buy a house before, but I think I could live in a house like this. And I was like, well, it's for sale. Let me call my dad. You talk to Mariah and then the rest is a kind of a sales pitch. And then, well, Apparently, I can't, I can't write a book these days without the help of a Southern cook, because the dispatches from Pluto is Martha's idea, Martha's title and Martha's book ideas. He said, you should buy my daddy's house, move into it, and write a book about what happens next. And I said, okay, that sounds good. So then I had to drive back to New York, where I was living, and make this sales pitch to my girlfriend, Mariah. I said, look, you know, I know this sounds nuts, but I think we need to leave Manhattan and... Uh, by an isolated farmhouse in the Mississippi Delta, uh, about 40 minutes from the nearest grocery store. And um, to, to Mariah's credit, she came down and had a look at the house and went for it. And then my new book is also um, really the creation of a different Mississippi uh, cook and cookbook writer, Regina Charbonneau, invited me down to Natchez. And uh, that's really how this book about Natchez, the deepest south of all, um, got started. That, that's interesting. You kind of touched on something that I'm, go I'm going to ask about. But so, I mean, obviously, this was a kind of a huge impactful uh, moment in both of your lives. And Richard, what was it like moving to the Delta as, you know, someone who grew up in London, England, and then coming to this incredibly remote place? I mean, that must have been kind of a culture shock moment for you. Yeah, I mean, I really had to write a whole book to get across the magnitude of the culture shock. I, I mean, the thing I remember is for the first two weeks or something, it just seemed completely unreal. You'd wake up in the morning, this, it was a big old farmhouse, and mm -hmm. I live here? How, did, how on earth did this happen? This, this can't be happening. You know, we just Richard. came out of this 425 square foot apartment in Manhattan and then suddenly like you wake up in this big isolated farmhouse in the Mississippi Delta. It just, it just, uh, it, it just seemed incomprehensible for, for weeks. Our whole family jokes that we turned Richard out because, you know, he did all these things that he said he was never going to do. Like, I'm never going to buy a house. He bought a house. Oh, we're not going to get married. You know, we're happy. Thanks. Oh, let's get married. Oh, you know, not kids. I don't know. No, let's have a baby. So it was like <laughs> the total pendulum swing from like the guy that I met to the, the well, right. how things I, turned I, out. Infected with uh, family values in Mississippi. <laughs> that's, that's what we do, Richard. Yeah. And well, Martha, Martha warned me when I bought the house. She said, look, you know, you don't, you don't, even, you don't even need to have sex to get pregnant. <laughs> it's so fertile. <laughs> Well, Martha, what was it like um, introducing um, a person from England to your home? And what? And I really want to know what it was like introducing Richard to Southern food, of which you are a master. Um, Richard does have a hearty appetite. That is one thing um, I appreciate. I love people that love to eat, so that um, that was the easy part. And um, he he's just such a gregarious, you know, fun person to be around that, um, you know, there were mostly language barriers more than, more than anything else because he's such a huge music fan and blues music fan and jazz fan that all of that just sort of 
melded all together perfectly, you know, so, um, and, you know, he's quite a worldly guy. Um, and so uh, it was just fun to introduce him to some of the people that I love so much. And then also just people that I find fascinating, like Sam Olden in Yazoo City, or um, even my cousins. And uh, just, um, I don't know, he just sort of fell right into the groove. I, I, I can believe that. Yeah, the food was, was, was uh, that was very straightforward because I'm a person that thinks about food, you know, several hundred times a day and I'm always thinking about what my next meal is going to be and I've never really eaten like proper fried chicken before. Oh. I've never really eaten like proper, I had eaten some barbecue but not enough. Yeah. And um, I mean... The, one of the meals I remember the most is, you know, this this book, um, Dispatches from Pluto, that came out of the thing, you know, did really well in Mississippi. And uh, Governor Winter got to know about it. And he liked the book and he got in touch with me and he said he said he wanted to go to Pluto and, and meet Martha. And uh, I think that's probably the best meal I had was Martha laid on, I think, a 12-course luncheon. Oh. And it was, it was, I think it was all vegetarian because the governor wasn't eating much meat at that time. And it was all, or I think everything came within about 40 or 50 miles of, of Pluto. And there was different breads baked. And I mean, it was, it was one of the best meals of my life. Certainly the best vegetarian meal of my life. Yeah. Well, that brings up some, oh, uh, that brings up something that uh, Martha told me one time at the bookstore, she probably doesn't remember this, but she did the food for the movie, The Help. And she was talking about the, was it vegan fried chicken that you had to make? Yeah. <laughs> and her talking about having to shape it and make it look like chicken. Yeah, I had a popsicle stick, a popsicle stick with half of a vegan hot dog impaled on it then wrapped in tofurkey and then wrapped in vegan pie dough that involved almond milk and this it, oh. it took a lot of trial and error oh i'm sure so but there's really nothing i mean you you there's really nothing you can't do as far as food goes I and mean, i feel like that was probably a major feat and, and hopefully i'll never have to do it again yeah i i hope that for you for sure <laughs> um so, I mean, it just, it really is just kind of incredible how y'all, how y'all's friendship formed and that y'all had these incredible projects through all of this. Martha, will you talk to us about your newest cookbook and how that, you always have such great stories that go along with your recipes and as incredible as the recipes are, I love just reading them. Um, and that's a big thing that people love to do now is they just like to read their cookbooks, but you actually have like, you know, some incredible stories in there that really give you a, a taste of Southern culture. Um, so, so um, this was again with my dear friend and collaborator, collaborator, Amy um, Cameron Evans, and you can check out her artwork at amycevans.com or you can also go to a good meal is hard to find.com and um, see more about Amy. And we had a wonderful time putting this book together. I had been bugging Amy for several years to um, 
do this book. And I had told her that the titles of her paintings would make great headnotes for um, a recipe. For instance, one of her paintings is titled, uh, Gladys always put a rabbit's foot in her apron pocket when she made meringue. Um, and I was like, Amy, that's a, that's a story, you know, that's a head note. And also I have um, gotten, I think as we've seen like the rise in Pinterest and people that have all these blogs and food um, websites that there's only so much more you can say about a biscuit. I mean, you know, oh, my grandmother taught me how to make biscuits and this is my favorite recipe for making a biscuit. And so we really wanted to, um, in the same way that her paintings um, have very few objects in them, like this is a ruler, a can of grapefruit juice, a piece of chocolate, and a small fish. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted the head notes to be really short, and also the same way that your curiosity is piqued by her paintings. Um, so the head notes are little short um, vignettes about um, the person. Like this one is um, Marge had her usual breakfast, and then she um, took her usual measurements. And in this case, the measurements are a couple of fingers of vodka and some grapefruit juice. And so each recipe has a little story about um, primarily women. Um, for instance, uh, Camille's egg salad has a painting of uh, costume jewelry and Duke's mayonnaise. Okay. Um, so each, each um, recipe is accompanied by a fictional story. And so Amy made the paintings I did the recipes and then we came together to make the stories. And as we were working on the book, um, we just sat around in the kitchen and talked about, Oh, well, you know, obviously Stella is allergic to strawberries or, um, you know, and they really, it was like we conjured up a whole community of new friends. And um, so that's kind of how the, the book was put together. And then there's also a little companion journal that goes with it um, that has uh, sections to put road trips it has uh, books to read and a place for you to um, when your friend recommends a book so you can jot it down because I can never remember the title yeah. um, and then it has a section in about road trips and there are a few recipes in it and places to put birthdays and then in the back there's a handy dandy little folder pocket so you can put recipe clippings or articles that you hear out of the newspaper or magazine. So um, this was a really, it was fun to have a, a, another book that goes along with it. Um, so uh, it was, it was just a really fun process thinking about the different things we wanted to put. There's um, a thing to reminders of what flowers go for each birthday month or um, places to write down people's anniversaries and just dates to remember. So um, it was fun to have that to go along with it. What a great gift. I mean, yeah. like, I, I, that's such a fun little thing. Um, Richard, maybe you could use that for some of your travel writing. You could jot that <laughs> thing. No, and Richard was really like supportive when, when I was working on this because it's, you know, writing a book, particularly a cookbook is a really, all books are a long process to put together, but you've got to do all the recipe testing and, um, you know, running past the story ideas with him. And he, he was really, really supportive um, during all that. Yeah, I, I have yet to cook anything from this book, but the vignettes I can testify are, are just uh, 
marvelous and magical and wonderful. And I've never I've never seen a cookbook that, that has fictional vignettes related to the recipes. Before. I, think it's I know it's so great. I mean, it's you know it seems kind of a. Um, I mean, I just I was perfect just, marriage. I was just leafing through the proofs in, in Martha's backyard months and months and months ago. But I can still remember like four or five of those vignettes really really clearly. Yeah. I think I think I think we need some we need we need a novel out of Martha. She's clearly got a knack for fiction. Oh, I think she would completely kill that for sure. So we we, no we, we, we vote for a novel, but just in your own time, please. Um, Richard, how long did you work on the deepest south of all? I mean, how long were you kind of researching that? And, well, and how many editors did you go through? Yeah, it was a long, drawn-out process. Um, it took, I think, three and a half, nearly four years. Um, yeah, so this this book came about because I met Regina Charbonneau, the chef and cookbook writer. I met her and she invited me to go and stay with her in Natchez and do a book signing at her restaurant, King's Tavern. Yeah. And um, sounded like a great invitation. Stay at an antebellum home, book signing at King's Tavern. And uh, she was going to tell stories about the Rolling Stones because she's a friend of the Rolling Stones. So I was like, great, I'll be there. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I didn't know a thing about Natchez. And I was, you know, kind of not on the way to anywhere. As, as it's not. Say. And, um, <laughs> So I came into town and I, I noticed one of these historical marker signs by the side of the road and I, it's my custom to stop for those and I soon found out I was standing on the site of the second largest slave market in the south and I, I had no idea that was in Natchez and there was some very uh, haunting signs about, about what had happened at the slave market so I had all this kind of running around in my head as I went to my book signing and then then I found out that, 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 that the mayor of Natchez was a gay black man who won with 91% of the vote. And I was like, what? Mississippi? And then I met some very interesting, sophisticated people at my book signing that I wasn't expecting either. And then I went back to Regina's antebellum home, Twin Oaks. And Regina was talking about the need for racial reconciliation in Natchez and how we needed to bring more African-American history into the experience of Natchez tourism but then in her in her parlor there was a big oil painting of um, a young man in a confederate uniform and I was trying to sort of square that with this sort of liberal um, attitude that she had it turned out to be her son and that they, her son and other children in the town would dress up in confederate uniforms and hoop skirts for these kind of ritualistic celebrations of the old south and the pilgrimage yeah mm -hmm. so i just was really confused that first day trying to trying to make sense like what's a tableau what's the court what, what do you mean king and queen um and she was reeling off oh that they danced the soiree and that i had no idea what she was talking about most of the time and then she whisked me off to um she said do you do you have a suit and tie with you? And I said, no. And I was, she said, well, get yourself, get yourself smartened up as best you can. I'll, I'll take you to a party. I think you might find it interesting. And it was the annual ball of the Pilgrim, Pilgrimage Garden Club at Stanton Hall, you know, this- Oh, it's a beautiful house. Gigantic. I mean, it, it puts one in mind of the White House. And then inside- I think it, it's like the size a, of a city block, the whole- The entire city block, yeah. yeah. And inside, it's like this, uh, you know, the clock stopped in 1860. 
all the antiques are, you know, antebellum. Um, and then there was, I just got really struck by these, the senior ladies of the Pilgrimage Garden Club, these sort of magnificent old women who were just so poised and um, so poised and gracious. And then the younger women would come up to pay court to them. But since the older ladies were all seated on these antique chairs, the younger women had to kind of grovel on their knees, had to crouch and kneel. And sometimes the older ladies would give them a hand to help with their balance. And I remember one woman, she knocked over a, a glass of, a younger woman, she knocked over a glass of Coca-Cola on this cream antique rug. And, and I, thought they, I thought she was gonna get taken out and garroted on the back, back gallery. It was just a scene, you know? And I, I just, uh, I wanted to write a book about it uh, that, that first day, within a matter of hours. I was like, what, what is this place and how did it get this way? I was like, Richard, you know, if you want more eccentrics per capita than the Delta, the only place left to go is Natchez. Well, that's what I was about to just comment on. I mean, you know, the Delta and Natchez are very different in a lot of ways, but it is filled with just a host of eccentric characters. And you've managed to, you know, kind of hunt out both of those places. And you've been led there by these uh, Southern cooks, which I think is just kind of amazing. Um, well, I can't imagine writing a book now without a Southern cook to guide me along, you know? Well, they are, uh, you know, cultural gurus and storytellers, so. Well, most of the good storytelling takes place in the kitchen. So even like when you're catering a party or something, there's always the best, juiciest eavesdropping and uh, stuff right outside the kitchen door or right inside the kitchen door, so. Um, I don't know, oh, Martha, I don't know if this is how it is at your house, but at holidays, you know, my father will be cooking and, you know, there's the den right beside it that you can see from the kitchen down into, but we all just congregate in the kitchen and he's just like, y'all are all in my way. Go to the <laughs> next room that's five feet away. Um, is it like that in your house for we we uh, tend to congregate in the kitchen. I pretty much live in my kitchen. My I work in the kitchen. I write in the kitchen. You know, so uh, where I spend most of my time. It's just it's kind of the hub of the house, certainly in the southern home, but I, I would think that in in you know in everywhere else as well. I mean, you know, it's it's where and people you like like you if you give them pie. So it's like a <laughs> good reason to keep cooking. Yeah, exactly. Um. So, I mean, Richard, how, tell us how, you know, living in the Delta, you know, writing this, I mean, you kind of have touched on this about how that led you to Natchez. How did, um, tell me her name again. I just, I'm uh, just. Regina Charbonneau. Yeah. How, did, she, did she just seek you out? No, we met at the, um, we met in a repurposed cotton gin way out in the middle of nowhere in the, in the Delta. It was the opening night of the, um, hot tamale literary culinary yeah. mashup. Yeah. And we were both, uh, uh, the, I mean, it was, a, it was, that was a scene. I mean, this, this old cotton gin, it was sort of converted, had chandeliers in it. And there was, I mean, it was fancy, like Julia Reed had, had, had put on a, a big production there. Had done her thing. Sure. Um, but I doubt it. Um, and yeah, we, me and uh, Regina were at, uh, they had these author tables. There was about maybe 20 authors and we were, we were just right next to each other. And her husband, Doug, was there. and He had a bottle of rum. He makes rum in Natchez. And uh, so we just start chatting and tippling on the rum. And 
And then she gave me this great invitation, come and, come and stay and I'll show you Natchez. I don't know whether it was her intention to get me to write a book about it, but she certainly encouraged the, uh, the process and was extremely helpful. And, you know, again, with the outrageous Mississippi hospitality, she just let me stay in her house for weeks on end and fed me. And um, yeah, again, her kitchen often seemed like the, the center of Natchez or a center of Garden Club Natchez. She would be catering these huge meals and her phone would be going and texts would be raining in and women would be flying through the door with the latest crisis and Regina would just very calmly sort of absorb the absorb the news and sift the rumors for truth and you know carry on making meringues at the whole time and and she gave me the upstairs rooms in a in her house and told everyone yes we we, we keep we keep an Englishman in the attic she would <laughs> Well, and Martha kept one right down the road. So, well, you know, you've, uh, and Martha, you can certainly speak on this. Uh, you talked about how Regina was mentioned rec uh, racial reconciliation in Natchez. And you, uh, you know, you, you, you talk about that in Dispatches from Pluto as well. Um, where do y'all both hope to see the Delta and just Mississippi in general go move, move to in the future? That's a broad question. I like I like forward. Yeah. <laughs> forward. Um, forward, not back, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, and in the Delta and Mississippi as a whole, you know, we're losing population so quickly that um, that there just need to be so many strides in in the education situation. And also to retain people that are um, forward-thinking um, to get them to stay, um, yeah. because um, you know it's it's a lot harder to stay than it and and try to work things work things out, even if it's the simplest thing of holding the door open for somebody. I mean, yeah. anything from that one little step forward is um, what we've got to do. But we can't we can't move forward if there's this constant drain, brain drain, brain drain. That going, going on across the state, but particular, you know, to see these little towns that are just withering on the vine and, um, and, and to, to make any progress, it's going to take young people and people, you know, moving back and um, bringing their families here. The big, the big issue in Natchez, I was talking to Greg Isles and he was talking about his, you know, all the guys and, gals he went to high school with him they're very like smart successful people but they've all been smart successful people in houston atlanta dallas new orleans mm -hmm. they all left he's about the only one that's still there yeah well you know i'm i'm from the delta my whole family still lives in the delta and i think about just how rolling fort was where i'm from you know when i just like when i lived there which was not terribly long ago and it is you know, it has changed so much. And, you know, I hear my parents talk about how it was when they were kids. And I'm just like, wow, you went shopping downtown? There's there's empty, you know, there's abandoned storefronts downtown. It has been most of my life. Yeah. Um, but yes, you know, it's, you know, I'm just kind of down the road in Jackson, but it is important for kind of the young people to stay there. But, uh, you know, 
I haven't done it. So I can't, I mean, I'm not that far. I go back all the time, but you know, people move off and um, it's, it makes me sad to see kind of how the, you know, how it's declining for sure. Um, because it is such a special place. Um, I think of Natchez kind of being bustling. I might be wrong about that, but you know, I feel like they've kind of got some cool things going on. And certainly the Delta does too, but people like come in for it, like the Hot Tamale Festival, which Julia yeah. Reed um, revitalized. You know, people come into town for that and then they leave. Um, so, you know, I don't. I mean, I don't really know the details of this, but I know that Tate Taylor, the, the movie director, and, and his partner, John, I know that they're, they're bringing a lot of investment into Natchez. I think they're trying to turn it into a movie-making place. Yeah. And they've got the situation out in Church Hill. I think there's, uh, you know, they're, they're buying up properties and um, kind of, I think, having sort of film-related activities out there. No, I think he's done a lot for the state is bringing, you know, kind of movie production because that's a huge money maker and draws people here. Yeah. So. And, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving up on Natchez, even though it is losing population. But again, it has this, it has the, uh, well, it's not, it's not a curse. It was a series of deliberate decisions that led to it, but the, you've got this completely messed up education system there whereby, you know, all the all the white kids who can afford it are in the private school, along with along with a few, you know, African American kids from from well off families, and then you've got like the failing public school that's yeah. over ninety percent black. And well, that's the I mean that's the same way it is, you know, in the Delta. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I think, I think it's true in a, a lot of communities across the country. One thing that um, I think Richard can attest to, and you you can too also but when people like when I was in cooking school in France or when I was living in Los Angeles or Vermont or Minneapolis or Austin um when and, but, but particularly when I've traveled overseas people when they think of what American is is what they think Mississippi is when you, they think of American writers it's Faulkner it's wealthy when they think of American music it's R&B country and um when they think of, um, you know, basically anything in the, the arts and arts with a capital A writ large, um, there's a root of it in Mississippi. And I think um, that the creative economy is going to be one of the things that, you know, may save us all. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think it's, you know, you've got this, you've got the blues trail and the writers trail and the, you know, music and everything, I mean, all, all of that stuff is, I mean, it's incredible how much Mississippi has produced. And I mean, that, that's obviously got to be its major selling point going forward, I would think. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of richness here. I'm thinking that something's on the line in Mississippi, <laughs> racially, yeah. that uh, it's like if Mississippi can make progress, like anywhere can, right? Seriously. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Got to wash this karmic resin off of us and um, and get a move on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, um, I don't want to take up too much of y'all's time, but I did want to ask y'all, um, what's the best dinner party y'all have ever had together? Who was there and what happened? I'm sure y'all have plenty of crazy stories about dinner parties in the Delta. 
I'll vote for that crazy Thanksgiving we had where we, I had like maybe 30 people for Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, yeah. Please. That room and I mean, I think. Psychotic episode. <laughs> my, I mean, like my face hurt the next day from having like smiled and laughed so much. And it was just this never ending amount of food that kept coming out of the kitchen and everybody brought things. And, but it was just the most eclectic. I don't even know what castle of nut jobs. <laughs> but to me, that was my favorite. Yeah, that was that was a good one. Yeah, that that can't be topped in my estimation. <laughs> for 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 fun, for lunacy, uh, for food. Uh, yeah, that was that was the tops. Well, as, as, as great as it's been getting to be Richard's friends. Getting to know his friends has really been a wonderful thing too. And so I've made a lot of dear friends that he brought to us. Once, so, once, once my friends from elsewhere started coming to Mississippi, yeah, they, they kept coming back like time after time. You again? Were <laughs> you in New York? Well, I think there's something so fascinating to people that come here that have never, you know, that come to the Delta that have never been. And, you know, we're, we are hosts and hostesses um, from the Delta and we like to show people our home and, uh, you know, we can all have a little bit of gift of the gab and storytelling. And I think that's really kind of intriguing to people who are not from here. So I could be wrong. It's also just, just so much its own place, you know, it's just, yeah. uh, it's so distinctive. Well, yeah, there's no, so I always tell people, um, there's nowhere else like it on earth. Right. Um, you know, so. I think you could make the same claim for Natchez. Uh, uh, 100%. <laughs> um, well, Richard, I want to ask you one question. Um, what's your favorite thing that Martha cooks? I wouldn't say it's my favorite thing. The thing I associate with Martha is like the morning after the big party, there's, there's evil skeebas. And I don't even know what's in them, but I'd never come across them before. And they're just, they're just indelibly associated with Martha's house and Pluto the morning after a big party. I, I, I like coffee in the morning, but that's, a lot of people favor Bloody Marys and evil skeevers. But what, what is an evil skeever? Yeah, I got to know too. It's, um, it's like a fried ball of heaven. <laughs> you, I mean, you have a, it's a special uh, cast iron pan that has divots. Yep. And you pour the batter in and then you use two little skewers and you flip them over so they fry on all sides in clarified butter and then you get a little smoky sausage if you're insane and you put one of those in the inside and then you sprinkle the outside with powdered sugar so it's like salty and sweet and buttery poofiness i'll take 10 of them that sounds incredible yeah um well it, do y'all have anything else y'all would like to add um, I've got another book that comes out in October. Um, I Cook in Color with Asha Gomez. Um, I did another book with her called My Two Souths. And this one focuses on uh, food from all over the world and um, stories about her travels and her family. And so um, be on the lookout because I don't think we'll be on book tour. <laughs> oh. 
Well, yeah. I, I love my two Sal's book. That was really an incredible. I would, I would just like to say a word about the cover in my book here. So the, I don't know if you can see this. Yeah. But these two people on the cover are, are people in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Sir Boxley. He's one of the leading um, African-American activists, but he's also a Civil War reenactor. He dresses up in the uniform of the United States Colored Troops. And this is Betty Jenkins, and she's a, a senior figure in the Pilgrimage Garden Club, and she also runs a tugboat company on the Mississippi River. And, um, yeah, I really like the cover, and uh, it's nice to have people that are, that are in your book on your book. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, uh, she sounds like a steel magnolia for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, who shot those photographs? They are such great photographs. I think some, some Spanish or Italian guy. Well, they are yeah. really stunning portraits. Let's, let's find out. I can probably, it should say on the cover, right? <laughs> uh, jacket photographs, Nicola Localzo. Okay. What do you think, Italian? Italian, I would think Italian. Yeah. Martha, what's your, what's your consensus on that? for Italian and I do think yeah, it's a is a man's name in Italian right yeah yeah for sure <laughs> I mean like I don't know um I'm just a Mississippi girl I'm not the, I'm not the most worldly as it turns out so y'all are far more worldly than I am but uh thank y'all so much for being here uh with us and uh the Mississippi Book Festival looks forward to having y'all in person in the future and we hope that y'all stay safe and healthy and y'all's family stay safe and healthy. Um, and yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you, Alan. Thanks. Bye, Martha. Bye, Richard. We'll see each other again one day. Bright on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party.